welcome to the Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton, and joining me today is Jim Poole, who is an accomplished business executive with extensive experience in the dental, healthcare, biotechnology, market research, and IT industry spaces. He manages the strategic direction and ongoing operations of Solus Life Sciences, a neuroscience company focused on personalized wellness and performance. In 2015, Solus Life Sciences, the maker of Nucom, was granted the world's first patent, ready, ready for this, for systems and methods for balancing and maintaining the health of the human autonomic nervous system. So, which I'll explain more in a little bit. Uh, Mr. Poole has successfully launched global products, managed growth strategies, and effectively optimized business operations for large and small organizations alike. We this is a really interesting conversation because the the technology that Solus Life Sciences has created, Newcom, has been around for a long time. I uh, used to be a, a a lot a lot of money. And it was specific. It was specifically designed initially um, for dealing with patients with PTSD and um, basically resetting, creating a process um, that would guide the patients through resetting their autonomic nervous system so that they didn't have symptoms of PTSD anymore. And it uses this, the latest cutting edge science research around uh, our neurobiology, how our brains work, what we know about um, the nervous system, how the body retains trauma. And so we start off this conversation, (laughs) we start off this conversation very light, actually. Uh, We start off with talking about why we as human beings have evolved to have mental health issues. So how things like anxiety and depression are how they showed up through evolution through our evolutionary process so that's where we start the conversation we we really move into the space of the convergence between technology and mindfulness and how technology can support in some of these balancing and maintaining the the autonomic nervous system and so you know for individuals that have had abuse or trauma in in their life um, can use technology like Nucom in order to, you know, reset and balance and support their autonomic nervous system, reduce symptoms of trauma, and just for the everyday person to be able to significantly increase your mental health and well-being. So we actually talk about the biology, the science, the research behind how we can use mindfulness and what actually happens in the body when we are implementing um, theta states specifically is what we talk about within uh, within this podcast. So we, uh, Dr. Poole, uh, Jim Poole will break down the differences between alpha, beta, and theta states within the mind, uh, the different roles that they play, and then how we can basically set set ourselves up to move into those data states and how important they actually are for regenerating our neurochemistry, our neurobiology, and uh, most importantly, our nervous systems. So this is a, a really great episode. Um, Mr. Poole has a, a ton of 
uh, information. It's just a wealth of information. So this is one that you might want to listen again or listen to a, with, a, with a friend and discuss. Uh, sometimes these types of concepts can be really helpful to have a dialogue around or some discourse. So if you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend and have a discussion about what you heard in this episode. Thanks very much for tuning in. And without any further delay, please welcome Mr. Jim Poole. I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm very, very well. Yeah, I'm like up in your hood as we were sort of, sort of up in your hood. You are. Uh, where, where, where you grew up from. And so I'm, I'm doing well. Lots of snow. But, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with I'm dealing with the snow. Like brings me back. I moved out of Alberta, Canada to avoid cold weather and snow. And, you know, I married a woman who was in Manhattan. And now I brought her upstate, sort of upstate, and cold weather and snow. So I don't, I feel like I, you know, I did something wrong there. I well, did something right. She thinks she did something wrong there. Um, yeah. <laughs> you're definitely in the thick of it. It's uh, early February and you have a lot of snow and a lot less daylight than you'd like. So vitamin, True. vitamin D for the, for the body and um, I don't know, exercise and warmth through the soul. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for being on the show. We're going to talk about uh, a few topics here, um, but let's start off with the question that I ask all my guests, which is tell us a story about a defining moment in your life that made you who you are today. Wow. Um, okay. Not to mix business with pleasure, but we'll keep it in the same vein. Um, probably one of the most defining moments for me, certainly uh, my family would corroborate, is the uh, first discussions I had with the inventor of Newcomb. So in June of 2009, a really um, fine gentleman with a Southern Texas accent called our technology firm. And we had a consulting firm that did a lot of M&A for Wall Street banks. And um, he was an applied neuropsychobiologist, quantum physicist, neuroscientist, naturopath. So definitely had an inclination to speak with a vernacular of a very high level. And But it was the Southern drawl that kind of lured me in. But essentially, it went like this. He said, Jim, I've invented a technology that quickly, predictably, and safely relaxes the mind and body within minutes with no side effects. I'd never heard that sentence before. I used to be a psychotherapist before I went to business school. So I'm certainly aware of the need for that type of technology. And all I could think about was marijuana. But, you know, in my brain thinking through it, I said, well, marijuana has, you know, gives you cotton mouth and your eyes get red and you want to eat Doritos. So those are side effects. This wasn't. Um, that three months of diligence and exploration changed my life. I've spent the last 11 and a half years running this company and challenging myself and our organization to bring a technology to the world that can change the balance of energy from negative to positive. So that was definitely a defining moment for me. Love it. And, you know, we're going to dive into that technology because I think that's interesting and it's been uh, you know, wild over the past decade to see all the, the sort of emergence and convergence of technology and meditation and mindfulness. I remember watching a talk once. I can't remember who was on stage. Yeah, I think I think it I think it was I think it was Gary Vaynerchuk, and he he's he's always an interesting dude. I don't know if you're familiar with him, right. but yeah, he was talking about um, how mindfulness and meditation will be just a, a massive industry in the future, and this was years and years and years ago. <laughs> And, uh, and, you know, here we are, right? And mindfulness and meditation is a, is a huge industry because we live in a very stressed out, over-caffeinated, jacked up nervous system uh, culture. And, and, we, and we pride ourselves on that, <laughs> right? And we pride ourselves on that. So, okay, so you have a background in evolutionary psychology and... Neuropsychobiology, neurophysiology, psychotherapy, 
And then oh. yes, yeah. So um, I tell you, I've been running this company for 11 and a half years. When you have a medical advisory board of the world's leading academicians, research scientists, and doctors, it's all learning all the time. And we, mm-hmm. we play in the realm of the brain. Now, in the neuroscience realm, we still know very little about the brain. It's incredible. We think about how little we know about the ocean. We know very little about the ocean, but it's vast, right? Well, we know very little about the brain. So I think uh, when if you think about a career path or something that's going to intellectually stimulate you for your life's journey, studying the brain is a pretty cool space to be. I've never found myself bored. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. What, what drew you to that in the, in the first place? I don't really know. I mean, I was raised by two psychotherapists, so I was put into a situation where I was had people staying in my home that were not well, hmm. should not have been staying in a home. Um, I shouldn't have been you know, privy to the complexities of the continuum of sociopathology and psychopathology, but um, I think I was born into it. You know, uh, Dave, Dave and I are identical twin brothers. When we were bad, and we were often bad because we're just kind of hellions, so we weren't punished in the typical spank your bottom and deal with it, deal and heal. We were given the, wow, son, you've really disappointed us. Mm. What? (laughs) (laughs) I prefer spanking. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want the complexities of shame and guilt and introspection. I'm only 10, 11 years old. So Mm. um, I think I was born into it and and then uh, sociologically evolved into it. And then I was a psychotherapist in the State Mental Health Institutions of Massachusetts for five years, working with the sickest of the sick and people that were just really dealt a poor card in life um, epigenetically and then through their familial patterns, because most chronic mental illness is catalyzed by a significant trauma. Mm-hmm. So, that was, that, so that was what I was doing. And to be honest with you, it was one of those your 20 your early 20s and um you literally think because you're filled with with knowledge that you have the wisdom to believe you can change people hmm. boy was was i wrong right so hmm. you get out and you're like hey i can do all this stuff and and i quickly realized after you know a couple of years of 24-hour shifts with five paranoid schizophrenics on the top floor and six schizoaffective females on the first floor i'd go into a 48-hour shift normal well-adjusted inspired and i'd leave borderline schizophrenic so you can't i learned a lot of valuable lessons in that in that job for five years um i think the the strongest lesson is the need for consistency to establish a boundary and then to have a consistent consequence to that boundary and i learned that dogs, children, and people with severe mental illness see through all the masks. They see through your mores and your social narrative and everything you do. They see through your shit. If you're scared of a dog, they identify that from way away, right? Same thing with infants and same thing with people with mental illness. So that was kind of, I was was kind of uh, raised into it, let's say. And then I took a detour. I went to business school at Babson and then got you know, into the Wall Street M&A private equity sector and did a lot of work for a lot of companies and had a really good time, enjoyed it, worked in every sector you can think of from financial services to IT to biotech and pharmaceutical. And then this technology kind of fell into my lap in 2009. Hmm. So interesting. Why well, I, I do want to talk about like we're going to get down the rabbit hole of, of meditation and and how technology is sort of um impacting that space but i'm i'm curious i just want to take a quick detour talk to me a little bit about the evolutionary function of 
and and the yeah the evolutionary function of of things like mental illness because it does seem to be a, a bit of a, a a strange a strange thing right anxieties deep depressions schizophrenia from your perspective do you feel like there is an uh, do you feel like there's an evolutionary function to those components or are they a byproduct of some of the environments and the culture that we have placed ourselves in and and I'm just curious to kind of get your thoughts on that as we dive into how we deal with some of these mental health issues like anxieties, which are skyrocketing and depressions, which are on the rise? I think that's a great question. Okay, so let's get to it. Um, let's think evolutionary-wise and let's think about the brain. Let's think about the body as a whole. The body and the brain is a, is a closed loop. It's a closed ecosystem. and has exceptional skills of compensation. It's always learning. It's learning a lot more than you're learning, okay? Your body needs to survive. You have two aspects of the body and the brain, and that's the central nervous system and the autonomic nervous system. The central nervous system is really important, key to our survival. And more importantly than that, its primary function is our survival. Mm. Think about that. When you think of psychological issues around health and well-being, longevity and happiness and joy, you see Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and you can say, okay, I need a sense of belonging, I need community, I need intimacy, I need sex, and I need water, and I need food. But if you're not alive, all of it is meaningless. So survival supersedes all of it. That's the mm -hmm. central nervous system. You have five senses and you have your intuition. All six senses are constantly monitoring you for safety and security all the time. So think about that. Think about how exhausting that is for the central nervous system to constantly be paying attention to everything we do. Now, we can think through this. You've been in New York City. You used to live in New York City. And so there's times when you're in New York where your intuition says, hey, this doesn't feel right. That's your central nervous system taking care of you because it's not seeing patterns it recognizes and it's not seeing the familiarity it needs to feel secure to do other things. So that's that core piece of the puzzle. The other core piece of the puzzle is the autonomic nervous system. The autonomic nervous system is very complex and is 40 million years evolved. This is quite fascinating to me. 40 million years. It would be, it's impossible to even understand that time horizon. But I'll stop and say, okay, what have I learned from January 2020 to 2021? A lot. What have I learned from January 2015 to January 2021? More. What have I learned in the last 10 years? So how much do I believe that the brain and all these neurons and all this connectivity, neuronal pieces and cognition, how has that evolved in 40 million years? It is a very, very complex system. And it works really well. It's been refined and defined and refined for 40 million years. The autonomic nervous system governs human fear, stress, anxiety, depression, and worry. And it's all on a continuum. And when I think about where we choose to focus and how we choose to live, it's all resources. It's a zero-sum game. Where the oxygen-rich red blood cells flow in your brain is where you're going to pay attention to. So let's think through how this all operates. The central nervous system has an incredible memory. Every failure you've ever had, it remembers. Every experience of shame and humiliation it remembers. And it doesn't like it. Mm. Fear is a really powerful motivator for the central nervous system. So say you're thinking about doing something that you don't even remember you historically failed at. You may not remember it, but your central nervous system does. And guess what it does? It activates the autonomic nervous system. So if you look at the central nervous system as Batman, the autonomic nervous system is Robin. 
And when the central nervous system perceives something that's happening that it doesn't want to involve itself in, it activates the amygdala to the HPA axis, to the adrenal cortex, to mobilizing your body to defend itself against a threat, real or perceived. So this is the tools that we have as humans. No one really understands this. And if you don't understand the, the chess board, how are you going to play chess? Okay, this is this is the evolutionary aspect of life. So when you think about it, I look at people's behavior and I find myself becoming less and less judgmental and more understanding of simply saying, hey, that's the human survival mechanism. You can't fault them for that's how they're networked to survive in the event that they're triggered. That's just the way it is. So when we think about mental illness or we think about anxiety and depression, 2020 is a great example. If you're epigenetically predisposed to depression, and you add stress on a prolonged basis, guess what you're going to feel? More depression. If you do this with anxiety, guess what you're going to feel? More anxiety. Why is that? It's all a resource game. So the more stressed we are, the poorer sleep we get. The poorer sleep we get, the less oxygen-rich red blood cells we get to the prefrontal and frontal cortex. The less time we spend in theta, the second stage of the sleep architecture, the less restoration we get on a cellular basis. We wake up. We're fatigued mentally. We feel lethargic but our bodies and our cells aren't operating at full capacity either, okay? We don't see this on a daily basis because it doesn't occur on a daily basis. The minimal aspect of one poor night of sleep does not compromise you and put you in a state where you're prone to depression or anxiety, but it's the subtle consequence of accumulation of a poor habit. We mostly live in high-stress, poor sleep, high-stress, poor sleep, high-stress, poor sleep. We have incredible resilience as humans. Incredible. It's amazing what a human can endure and what a human can normalize, right? Mm -hmm. We see this through history. We're like, wow, they went through that. People are going to look back at us and say, wow, they went through COVID and economic uncertainty and the Me Too movement and the Black Lives Matter movement and political insanity. They're like, wow, that was crazy. We're like, yeah, we lived in it. It was crazy. Just like our grandparents lived through the Great Depression, right? Changed behaviors and stuff. So the whole landscape here is you've got to establish mindful practice if you want to live to have access to your character, personality, executive functioning, logic, and emotional well-being. Why is that? Because when we engage in mindfulness, what we're doing doesn't matter to the spirit of how we get there. It doesn't matter if I choose to meditate. It doesn't matter if I do yoga, tai chi, deep breathing, or if I have a technology like Nucom. It doesn't matter what path I take. The physiological benefit of deep mindfulness is the oxygenation of the body and the mind. That's what you're seeking physiologically. People don't understand that either. They think they're on a quest to higher consciousness through being able to calm the brain. You calm the brain by oxygenating the prefrontal and frontal cortex. When you create oxygen-rich red blood cells through the hippocampus prefrontal and frontal cortex, this is the area of the brain that separates us from primates. This is the area of the brain that's 4 million years evolved. So think about this challenge. The executive functioning, left brain logic, emotional stability, access to your character, your personality, all of it, that's here in our prefrontal cortex. This is 4 million years evolved, but the reptilian brain is 40 million years evolved. So I'm in business. If you said to me, hey, Jim, you have a 36 million year head start, I'm going to feel pretty good. (laughs) Okay, That's the challenge. We are literally fighting a 36 million year head start of this 
system that is really, really good at sabotaging us because it doesn't like to fail and it Mm. fears everything. So it's the central nervous system out there scoping out the environment, understanding it doesn't matter. It literally doesn't matter what you're going to fail at. Athletic performance, military operation, test, your nuptials, uh, dinner, it literally doesn't matter. Your central nervous system pings the amygdala, this almond-shaped piece of the midbrain, which then hits the HPA axis, which is the hypothalamic anterior pituitary adrenal cortex. You secrete cortisol and adrenaline and catecholamines. All your blood flow goes to your visceral organs, and you mobilize for a threat. And when all this happens, the oxygen-rich red blood cells, the stuff that's in our prefrontal cortex, is diminished because it's needed in the visceral organs to protect us. So when we are in stress, we don't have flow in our frontal cortex to think logically. That's why when we're stressed out, you can't think logically when you're emotionally sabotaged. So that's the challenge we live in. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. It's like, wow, I'm surprised we've, we've made this much success. Right, 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 right. Well, and it also sort of shines a light on why things are fucked up sometimes and why things are so messy. You know, because I think I think when we when you put it in that kind of context and you're able to sort of peel back some of the layers and, and see the unconscious autonomic processes that are at play underneath what like underneath just some basic decision making. What I usually come into contact with is it is amazing that we're able to make conscious quality decisions on a daily basis with how much stress stimulation and how much we are inundated as human beings, right? With no, I mean, just li- like using New York as an example, living in New York, where there's so much sensory input that it's sort of, you know, that ta- that has a taxation on your nervous system and on your stress response. I also just wanted to touch on, you said something about being epigenetically predisposed in some cases. Can you just speak a little bit more on, uh, what that means, because I think a lot of people have heard the terminology around epigenetics and and um, might have somewhat of an idea of what that might be. But how does that play in with with mindfulness, with regulating our nervous systems, with being able to make uh, room for a, a more sort of conscious way of being in life? That's a great question. Um, and, I, you know, Maybe we shouldn't be fatalists, and maybe sometimes we are. We let the universe operate. You're a fatalist, but um, we're gen- genetically predisposed to a lot of things. And I, I don't know that if you look at the genealogy of any family and any person on this earth, if you go back a generation or two, you won't find substance abuse as a manifestation of psychic pain as a, as it relates to mental illness. We're all genetically predisposed to this. Now, interestingly enough, recently in the research, it showcased that anxiety and trauma cascades through the DNA to the next generation and beyond. They showed people that were in Auschwitz and the concentration camps of, you know, in the Nazi regime, and their next generation were born with a predisposition for high anxiety. That was really powerful point in research. And it also says, whoa, holy cow. Now, I stop and look at that research and say, okay, all of this makes sense. Everything in life is energy. Everything in life is vibration. When you eat pork that was taken from a pig 
that was killed in an aggressive manner, that pig has a central nervous system. That pig knew what was going to happen on some level and had a tremendous amount of anxiety and cortisol flushing through its body and then was killed and then meat taken from that and you're ingesting it. It's all related. Everything in life is energy. People don't understand what you can't see. People don't understand what you can't touch. People have a difficult time if it's not tangible. People don't understand stress. People don't understand anxiety. We can't see it. People don't understand trauma. Mm -hmm. They know that their friend went to war. They don't know what their friend experienced. They don't want to know. But when their friend came back, they know their friend is not the same. This is a fact. Yet they don't, because they can't see an injury. There's no sling. There's no cast. It's all here. Isn't it amazing how bright we are as humans? how capable, yet how limited we are. We have very poor time horizon. Mm. If you knew that cigarettes would give you lung cancer, you'd die a miserable death, you'd never smoke. Mm -hmm. If you knew that lying in the sun gave you melanoma, which is a horrific death, you'd never lie in the sun. If you knew that stress created 98% of all diseases, you'd make it important to figure out a habit to, to address that. Mm. But we don't. When you're young, think about when you were young. Think about... you cared about nothing <laughs> you're like listen we can I was pretty, pretty, pretty carefree digging uh, tunnels in that snow in northern alberta yeah you do whatever right now if they said hey let's go dig a snow snow tunnel you'd be like no it's freezing out <laughs> but in reality um it, it's really strange it's really quite incredible that's that's what i love about what we do mm -hmm. you're studying the brain and social psychology and evolutionary biology and you're just looking at all these aspects of life i have learned in the last 11 and a half years the importance of uh, mindfulness and the stress management side of the equation in fact i find it to be one of the most profound necessities of a good life simply because the negative consequence of not managing stress puts you in a disease state so you mentioned a couple of things about new york which i find absolutely fascinating and really speaks to the intensity of the brain New York, by far, is the hotbed of stress in the United States. It just is. You've got 18 million people or beyond in the greater Manhattan area, and you just have a lot of stimulation. But when you live there, your central nervous system figured it out. How did it do that? It has something called the reticular activating system. And the reticular activating system is constantly taking care of all your stimulation, everything from all your senses. Your cerebral cortex is a lot of your visual cortex. We're getting constantly inundated with stimulation all the time. So think about all the stuff coming at you in New York. But you normalize everything. Why? Because the reticular activating system is incredibly gifted and really powerful at two things, pattern recognition and finding shortcuts. So you live in New York, you adapt to it, it becomes normal. When you first moved to New York and it was really loud at night, you couldn't sleep well. Within a few days, you normalized to it and you're fine. In fact, when you moved, when you went back home, to northern Alberta, you were probably like, it's too quiet. I can't sleep here. That's the central nervous system and the reticular activating system. But here's what's fascinating that's happening in COVID. New York is no longer the same. So your reticular activating system is constantly fooled. Your central nervous system is more fatigued and on edge than it ever was because all the normal pattern recognition that it could count on, the thousands of people, the stoplights, the taxis, everything, the smells, the noises, it's not there anymore. Mm -hmm. So your brain has to work double time to figure this out. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I think what I hear you saying is almost um, almost like our bodies are are designed to adapt quite quickly and rapidly 
based on the environment that they're in, regardless of the detriment to the long lasting impacts of the body. It's the reticular activated system of the brain. Yeah. Incredible. Think about this. Think about the, uh, you know, there's no such thing as a second impression, right? Hello, your first impression. So you and your lady go out and you have an incredible dinner in New York. New York's got incredible restaurants and literally everything about it, the ambiance, the flavors, how it's melting on your tongue and digesting. And you literally think about this meal for days afterwards, okay? It was that good. So you're like, okay, you know what? I'm going to surprise my lady and I'm going to take her back there three weeks later. You sit down, you have a lot of anticipatory excitement. And it doesn't measure up. Why? Because the reticular activating system has already tried that food. It's mm -hmm. already had that experience. I'm, I love music. I played in a band for years. And, and um, it's funny to me. If the first time I heard a song, say uh, a Journey song, and it was the live version of Don't Stop Believing, I never liked the studio recording of that same better than the first because of the first impression. Yeah. That fascinating? I was, I was like, where my brain went immediately was like, <laughs> that must have such an interesting impact on uh, sexual partners long term. <laughs> getting, getting used, getting used to the one, you know, the one partner in, in uh, long term relationships. Well, that's why they say, hey, mix it up, spice yeah. it up, you know, travel, get out of your norm, you know, put on, you know, put on acts, whatever. But that's the fascinating aspect of this. And that is your brain is so fast. And that's why I say to people, say, you think you're in control of you. You're so, you're so confused. You have no idea. All the things, all the computations that are going on all the time just to keep you alive, right? I say to people, say, hey, when you walk into a restaurant and you crave a hamburger, it's not because it looked good on the menu. Your brain needs protein and your brain is really smart. When you are an addict and you are stressed out, your dopamine serotonin is out of balance. Your brain knows. This is the same thing with cocaine. Your brain knows. If, Jim, if you get in the car and you go down to the bar, you're going to feel a lot better. It's going to happen quickly. It's going to happen predictably. I know how alcohol works. So I bet if you find a way, get in that car right now, Jim, get in that car. I bet if you find a way to get there, even if it's just to say hi to a friend or get a steak at the bar, that's how it works. Hmm. Look at people and say, okay, in 2020, when we have a really high incidence rate of depression and anxiety, we know we have a comorbidity of self-medicating. That's the central nervous system knows a lot more than you do. And it begins a craving process days before you actually fall to it. Hmm. So if you don't have, it's a really, here's the answer. If you don't have mindfulness practices in your life, you will never defeat the reptilian 40 million year old brain. That is a 36 million year head start in circuitry far beyond your comp your ability to comprehend. You're never going to play that game and win. Hmm. So mindfulness in your life, as you brought mindfulness into your life, you'll notice a few things. One, you're more patient. You're more observant. That observation and patience allows you to be more reflective and more responsive to stressful stimulation and less reactionary. When you are not in balance, you fall really fast for the fear side. Fear is incredibly powerful. There's only one emotion more powerful, and that's hope. If fear was number one, we'd be extinct a long time ago. But hope is the strongest emotion. Mm -hmm. So think about the media. Think about the food companies. What do they do? They bring in neuroscientists. They bring in companies like ours. Ours is different because we build things to help people. But a neuroscientist will determine, hey, if you show something bad, you elicit a fear response in a nanosecond. That listener and that viewer immediately hits the amygdala, the HPA axis, 
and begins the entire flight or flight response before there's any neurons that fire to the frontal cortex. You're not even aware that you're positioning for the fear side. So media, it may not be nefarious. There may not be malintent, but they're trying to get ratings. And people know if I elicit a fear response, I capture your attention. If I tell you a nice story and allow your frontal cortex to compute things, it takes a while. Mm-hmm. With our food supply. Scientists come in and they put neurotoxins into our food. Hello, MSG. Remember years ago, we we're like uncovered this. Hey, wait a second. There's an addictive element on these Doritos. It's in all food. Our food supply hasn't been food in a long time because mm. they know, hey, we had this neurotoxin here and this excitatory toxin here and they, all these things. So that's the challenge we have. So if we can in life, understand the need to balance the autonomic nervous system, we give ourselves the resources to compete in our brain and in our world that's really, it's really our worst enemy. Humans, we've been, uh, we've been kind of naughty in the last couple of days. Yeah, yeah, we've been, we've been doing some stuff to ourselves. Yeah. Um, I, I want to get into that, like how we can start to balance the autonomic nervous system, what that looks like, um, and what's happening in the body a little bit more. But can you just touch on, because uh, I, I don't want to move past this, this part before we dive into that. You had mentioned that something like 95% of illnesses of disease comes from uh, stress response. Can you unpack that a little bit more? Because I, I, I've read a lot that would correlate to that, but I would love to hear your take on it. All right. That's a great question. And thank you for asking. And this should be taught in grade school. This is anatomy and physiology. This isn't up for debate. It's not hyperbole. It's not what if then health statements. This is real. Here's how it happens. Really simple. Your body has a 24 hour biorhythm. And in your sleep cycle, there's an important element of sleep where your brainwave function is levitating in theta brainwave. Okay. Life is energy, vibration, uh, resonance. Everything has a resonance. Everything on this planet today has a specific frequency. You have a frequency. You specifically have your own frequency different from 7.6 billion people. You resonate at a frequency. You vibrate differently based on nutrition and sleep and stress and all this stuff. Isn't it funny how when you look at a photo of you and your lady, sometimes you don't even recognize yourself or don't recognize her? You're never going to look the same. Why? Because you vibrate differently all the time. It's wild. It's there. We can see it, but we don't, our brains don't understand it. So when we live and before puberty, we're sleeping really well and the human brain's evolving. And so the sleep architecture has four components to it, but the main space is called theta brainwave. Theta brainwave is a slower frequency. It's below alpha. Alpha is 12 hertz to 8 hertz. And when your brainwave function is in alpha, you're kind of in the creative zone, maybe a little bit in the twilight zone. It's where transcendental meditation is. It's where creativity being in the zone is. But theta is slower. Theta is just above deep sleep. There's in and out of lucidity, in and out of kind of a dream state. Theta brainwave function in the sleep architecture is the only time your cells do two really important aspects of healing. Number one, they clean their toxins. So the cellular maintenance happens only in theta brainwave function. Number two, your ATP is restored. Your mitochondria is restored. The energy source for the cell is restored only in theta. Hmm. When we think we can overcome sleep, when we think it's a badge of honor to sleep for three hours a day, it's a cascading 
um, accelerated path to disease. That's all it is. There's no badge of honor when you're 52 and you have ulcerative colitis and diabetes and cardiovascular disease. Why is that? Because you didn't get enough restorative sleep. So it all starts there, okay? Your body's amazing. Your body has trillions of cells. Every cell has a job. Biology is communication. Cells communicating with other cells, whether it's chemical signaling or electrical signaling, they all have a function to do. The best analogy to think about is a killer cell. We all have cancer in our body all the time. The killer cell has a defined function. Go locate the cancer, introduce yourself, and kill it. Okay, that's their job. So you're in your 20s, <clears throat> and every day the cells go and they say, hey, there's some cancer over here. Let's go introduce ourselves and kill it. And that's what they do. And you're living and you go through puberty and you go through hormonal dysregulation and you go through this whole kind of dyssynchronous sleep patterns and all this stuff. And then as we get older, we start drinking and we start kind of bastardizing the GABA-A receptor site and some of the inhibitory neurotransmitters of our brain. And, you know, we live, we live, but in living, we're compromising the restorative aspect of our sleep pattern. Okay? And as we get older, we're sleeping less. So over the course of time, in your late 20s and 30s, your cells don't clean their toxins over the course of a couple of years. Your mitochondria doesn't get restored. Your cells start to lose their ability to function and do their job. So in your 40s, your cells, the killer cells, identify the cancer and they say, hey, this party looks like fun. They forget what they're supposed to do and they join the party. It is not by coincidence that cancer feeds on stress and sugar. There's no coincidence here. That's it. So when you look at cancer, we do a lot of work with stage four cancer. We do a lot of work with the Comprehensive Cancer Wellness Program under the guidance of Dr. Janet Ranicki, and it's fascinating to me. Most cancers are derived from unresolved conflict, psychic and emotional pain, cascading into cortisol, cascading into worry, and all this stuff and all this narrative we create between our ears is actually killing us because it's breaking down our cell structure. Disease is going to happen to every human being. 98% of all diseases are created by stress. Therefore, unless you die from an accident, you're dying from stress. But it's never going to say, hey, Connor, you died from stress. No, it's going to say you died from cardiovascular disease. Or you died from ulcerative colitis. All built from stress. Hmm. It's not a mystery. But why no one's educated on this is a mystery to me. Because if you don't resolve that, stress is going to resolve you. Think about this. Do you think 50 years ago there was a proliferation of all these immunosuppressive diseases in your gut? Do you really think people were plagued with ulcerative colitis and irritable bowel syndrome and Crohn's disease? Hell no. But we today are more complex. We've got more problems. We have this advancement of technology. We have a food supply that's not balanced. We're constantly on, right? We're constantly on. For all the good that technology does, it has a negative consequence. All this cortisol sitting in your gut compromises your microbiome, changes the acidity of your belly, and creates disease in your gut. It's all related. So if you don't resolve stress, and I'll say this throughout the entire interview, you don't resolve stress, you are not going to enjoy the twilight of your life because it's a breakdown. You will lose resilience, you'll lose immune strength, and that's where it comes back to the genetic predisposition. I don't know what disease you're going to get. It's in your genes. You may get an immunosuppressive disease of the gut. You may get cancer. You may get diabetes. I have no idea, but you're going to get some. If you're really lucky, you're going to get a couple. That's how this works. So if you don't resolve stress, 
and your your mind stops writing checks, your body can't cash, you got to wake up. Life isn't about pushing, pushing, pushing. And in that afternoon lull when your biorhythm hits a dip and your cognition dips, it's not about going to Starbucks. It's not about going to five-hour energy or monster energy. It's about listening to your body and getting balanced. Autonomic nervous system balance is about listening to your body and understanding your biorhythm and what you need when you need it. Because that night when you lie down and your brain is perseverating over the things you didn't accomplish, really, what exactly did you not accomplish that's going to lead you to death? Was it that important? Probably not. <laughs> yeah, well said. Well said. All right. Well, let's let's shift into the the space of solution oriented conversation because I think I think a lot of people probably hear this and they're like, "Shit, I'm stressed out nonstop, and I can't stop being stressed out, and I have a lot of anxiety." And what you know, what do I do? I'm curious if you could just unpack a little bit more about the role of the autonomic nervous system, what meditation does what mindfulness does within the brain and the body to shift us into that function of the autonomic nervous system. Awesome. It can be done. I don't care how stressed out you are. It can be done. Where there's a will and some determination and some help, it can be done, period. I believe the core starts with some element of nutrition. Without good nutrition, you're really, again, fighting a battle. That's just difficult. I also believe that, you know, having a glass of wine once in a while or whatever is okay, maybe, but being an alcoholic is not going to help the path to healing either. Okay. So these are just, they have to be said, they're kind of intuitive. Mindfulness. There's many ways to get here, but all this is about, and anatomically, is about oxygen. Oxygen is the body's healing property. That's all this is, ladies and gentlemen oxygen. When you engage in mindfulness, meditation, yoga, tai chi, there's a path, there's a journey, all right? There's kind of a calming of the monkey mind. According to the monks, we have a thousand thoughts an hour. Most type A folks, most people living in New York City probably have 1,200 to 1,300 thoughts an hour. Most of them are not our own, right? So we're constantly having to cascade. There's there's your reticular activated system again. It's like, uh, what, what do we need to take in? What don't we? When you do these things, the goal is simply to oxygenate the body. That's all it is. So how you get to a place of higher consciousness, how you get to a place of present in the moment without judgment, how you get to a place of presence, how you get to a place of observation, acceptance, losing judgment and losing expectation is through oxygen-rich red blood cells to the frontal and prefrontal cortex. The body is a closed ecosystem. The central nervous system is fighting for resources. The autonomic nervous system is fighting for resources. All these things are triggered. If you don't have oxygen-rich red blood cells flowing through key areas of your brain, the prefrontal and frontal cortex, your reptilian side of your brain is going to take those resources and sabotage you. I call it the itty-bitty shitty committee. Okay, This is the committee that lies behind all of our eyes. Think about this. There's 7.6 billion people that inhabit the, the world today, right? 7.6 billion. But all 7.6 billion people have somebody going along on the ride in a little sidecar, right? It's called the itty bitty shitty committee. What's this committee all about? And why does it never have anything positive to say? This committee is about fear. It doesn't want you to be humiliated and shamed. It doesn't want you to take these risks. It doesn't want it. So it activates stress and fear and anxiety and worry and all this stuff. Worry Has worry ever helped anybody? Has worry ever showed up and said, hey, I'm here to help? No. Okay. It just doesn't do it that way. So 
the key when you talk to monks or you you know work with yogis or whatever the key is to oxygenate the entire enterprise of the body and when you do this you oxygenate the key areas of the brain that allow for the executive functioning and the character and personality to persevere over the reptilian brain that's all this is so for example new calm is similar to monk-like meditation how so in new calm using biochemistry and physics we're slowing down the respiration rate to one breath every 10 seconds, six, six breaths a minute. That is the key ultimate diaphragmatic breathing for a human being. You want the most volumetric oxygen your body can absorb? It's one breath every 10 seconds. Isn't it weird that when you were a kid and you were out of control, your parents probably said, hey, count to 10. If they told you, breathe in your nostrils for four seconds, hold for two and exhale out your mouth for four, and this is what it's doing, maybe you would have done it more. But that's the diaphragmatic breathing of a human. It's synchronizing your heart and your lungs for the biometric reflex of your body. This is all natural. It's all the mathematics. This is all the golden mean in the mathematics of the world and the universe. It's all related. So it doesn't matter what path you take to get there. But oxygen-rich red blood cells is the key to mindfulness simply to liberate key areas of your brain that aren't getting enough oxygen. Great example is looking at a PET scan of a traumatized brain. You look at a PET scan of a traumatized brain, a PET scan is a great indicator to show you. Here, here's the blood flow. You will see shrunken blood flow to the hippocampus, prefrontal and frontal cortex. What does that mean? That means that this individual is going to live with an intense memory because the hippocampus isn't accepting new blood flow. It's gonna focus on the trauma. The trauma in the memory Central nervous system pings the amygdala because it remembers the trauma and it doesn't remember, is this a memory or is this really happening again? And it activates the amygdala to the HPA axis to cortisol, the catecholamines, the body mobilizes for threat, and you are in a constant state of hypervigilance. You're shallow of breath, your heart palpitates, your hands are cold and clammy, you perspire. This is simply based on a memory. There is less blood flow to the prefrontal frontal cortex, meaning that there's no opportunity for new cognition and neuronal coherence. Okay, so this is can all. You, can you can you just unpack that one part, the the neuronal coherence? Why that why that's important? Because I I feel like that's a, a active part of this, the equation. Always. It, so we have in our brain a schema. You have in your lifetime built a network of experiences, and there's a whole schema, and it's like a librarian. Something happens and it picks up an experience and says, hey, this happened before and here's how it got here and here was what the solution was. So all of these aspects is creating new neuronal connections, new cognition, new ways to create new layers of a new map. Otherwise, we're stuck. When we're stuck in a repeated belief pattern, when we're stuck in a repeated memory of trauma, we can't get out of the reptilian brain. That's not designed to harm us. It's designed to protect us, but it can't figure the shit out. It is completely like overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. The life of someone who's traumatized is the worst life I can think of because they never can escape between their ears. And the cascading event of their inability to escape and the repeated nature of the itty-bitty shitty committee and how loud it gets, it creates behavioral modification and changes that create shame and guilt and a, a lack of sense of self-worth. And it's just a terrible way to live every day. And then they don't sleep. So high stress, 
terrible memories, hypervigilance, constant state of alert, poor sleep, self-medication. You can see how this all plays out. Mm -hmm. Life is on a continuum. Nothing is perfect. Nothing is static. Nothing is real. It's always moving. So when you think of mental illness or you think of the anxiety spectrum or depression, it's all a continuum and it's all a relation. We've all had episodes in our life where we've been overcome with anxiety. We know what it feels like. It doesn't feel good. We know that we're thinking, hey, this isn't rational, but it doesn't matter. The body's already activated the system. It's like, hey, we're, we're taking this to the finish line. We got to get out of this situation. <laughs> so in life, when, when your viewers and listeners think through this, there is no sense of perfection. Yogananda and Monk, Brother Craig Marshall, shared with me recently. He said, Jim, uh, per is a Latin derivative for mask. Anything that has per in it is literally masking your ability to see through to the truth. I was like, what? He said, so perfection, perception, performance, it's not based in reality. It's based on your narrative. I was like, whoa. <laughs> Wait a second. Is that the matrix? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. All all of a sudden, yeah. But listen, we all create our own internal narrative. You know, I think about energy. Think about entropy. Energy doesn't go anywhere. It just is shifted. And think about all the energy we waste and use, mostly on negative consequencing of things that are going to happen in the future that never really happen. I love the quote, worry is interest we pay on a debt we don't owe. I love that because it shows you how inconsequential it is. Now, anybody who goes on a mindful path from yoga, tai chi, meditation, deep breathing, technology, whatever, they're going to get to a place where they're far less reactionary. They're going to get to a place where they become observant in their own life and present in their own life. They live their life. They get to a place where things that used to trigger them don't trigger them. They get to a place where they actually listen. It's really quite amazing. It seems ethereal. It seems like soft. There's nothing soft about it. That's one of the ironies of life. It's one of the most important elements to your balance. When you're stressed out, you're not the best human being you can be. You know this. You're emotionally sabotaged. You're impatient. You're easily agitated. You're short with the people closest to you. I mean, it's it's weird. Okay. Well, what are you going to do about it? Uh, what are you going to do about it? seriously you gotta do something yeah i mean a lot of a lot of people step in with coping mechanisms and alcohol and weed and you know distractions social media binge watching etc so you know i think let's let's take a bit of a right turn then into the technology that that you guys have um, built and created and and has been used for quite a while because i think there are quite a few um, different emerging technologies that are supporting people in mindfulness practices, in being able to sit, meditate. I mean, just something as simple as Headspace, right? Just an app that you can listen to and you can have a guided meditation. Just in simplest forms and then maybe a, a more complex version, describe what Nucom is and how it functions within the mind, within the body for the listener. Because I, I would love to get your take on that. Awesome. Well, now you guys get to join the PhD class of neuroscience. Dr. Holloway is one of the most incredible, compassionate, bright human beings ever walked this earth. I've witnessed him in the presence of the best of the best in the fields of, of statistical biophysics and cardiovascular disease. And within minutes, they're deferent to him in their field of expertise. He's not of human origin, I believe. He's an incredibly, incredibly gifted human being. He had clinical practice for 42 years serving trauma. 
mostly veterans from the theater of war and female abuse, sexual, emotional, psychological abuse victims. For those of you who understand the DSM-5 and diagnosable anxiety disorders, there's seven diagnosable anxiety disorders, and the first continuum of the most difficult profile is PTSD. This technology took a 30-year invention path and was developed expressly to manage the symptomology of PTSD. Hmm. That's all I needed to know as the core fundamental to say, hey, I can't do that as a CEO and take this into that realm because commercially it's too difficult right? The road's too long. We'll be bankrupt before we get there. But I knew with tremendous confidence, if it solves that profile, there's no human on earth. This doesn't help. Okay. So a 20 plus year pure invention path, eight years of pure R&D, this technology is not designed to cure. This technology is designed to liberate the monkey mind, to stop secreting cortisol, to allow the body to heal by levitating the brainwave function in theta, when the brainwave function is in theta, the cells clean their toxins, the mitochondria is restored, and the, the lungs and the heart synchronize to one breath every 10 seconds. Newcomb is an exceptional facilitator and levels the playing field from that 36 million year head start. What I find in looking through life and working with active DOD and trauma and PTSD, comorbid with addiction and stage four cancer and Alzheimer's and ALS and all these disease states, Newcomb doesn't cure disease. Newcomb manages the stress response and gives you restorative sleep so that your body can get into a state of healing and immune strength and build resilience. It is the great facilitator and equalizer. It is incredible. It is a gift from Dr. Holloway. I don't know anybody who has spent 20, 30 years to invent something. When something wasn't working, he moved to Russia and worked in Russia to study, you know, microcurrent stimulation and other ways to catalyze the nutrient. It's just incredible. The whole story is incredible. But what we have in front of us today is a portable, affordable version of this neuroscience platform that's 19 years old and 25 million years $25 million invested to get here. Now, why is that? Why is it so complex? We're managing the human brain. The new calm technology has taken on the task of managing the human brain. Good luck. <laughs> Can you do this in one simple modality? I don't think so. And you can't. So the new calm system has three components. All three components contribute to the efficacy of the system. We have the only patent in the world for balancing the health of the human autonomic nervous system. We have the only patent in the world. That is incredible to me. It's incredibly sad that the planet's been around for a long time. There's 7.6 billion people here, and we have the first to do this naturally. It doesn't make sense to me. Okay, fine. But to do that, do you really think the USPTO and the patent attorneys were like, yeah, that sounds good. Here, sign here. We did four and a half years of research with the best scientists in the world, providing irrefutable, quantifiable evidence to show without a shadow of a doubt that never before in the history of the planet has something like this existed and the efficacy of it. And we use NASA scientists and Harvard Medical School statistical biophysicists. Dr. Chung Kang Peng is the world's preeminent expert on HRV. He has 54,000 medical citations, 54,000. He is the expert. He's the one who did our research for four and a half years to show, hey, this is what Newcom does. This is what it does to the sympathetic nervous system. This is what it does to the parasympathetic nervous system. Did you know, Jim, that 20 minutes of Newcom is equivalent to two hours of restorative sleep? No, I did not. How does it do that? Well, because it mimics the sleep architecture in a level of concentration. So we are going to take the task on of saying, hey, to heal the human body, 
from trauma, from emotional issues, from any disease state, if you don't resolve the sympathetic nervous system and slow down your thermometer, you're not going to begin to heal because your body will not permeate anything. Your body is so powerful and this resistance mechanism called adrenaline can resist anything. So this is the core competency of Newcomb. Newcomb was not designed for mindfulness. Newcomb was not designed for, you know, higher consciousness. Newcomb was designed simply to liberate the monkey mind and allow the body to get into a place to heal because the body knows how to get into balance. So how does it work? Chemical messaging and electrical messaging. And this is important. The brain and body only communicate two ways, chemical messaging and electrical messaging. Newcomb uses both channels. There is no escape route. When you put Newcomb on, there ain't no getting out. Guess what? You're going to go to this healing place and we're going to take care of you. Why? Because we're commandeering both channels. There's no exit. There's no escape route, which I love. It's like, hey, I know how predictable this is. I could Newcomb you and leave the state and come back and you're in the same place. Why? Because your body is restoring and, and healing. There's a disc that goes on your left wrist. The disc is complicated quantum physics using bioresonance or harmonic oscillations, and it's amazing. What it's really doing is activating what's called the GABAergic system. The GABAergic system is comprised of GABA A and GABA B. GABA is the body's primary inhibitory neurotransmitter. Inhibitory, not excitatory. It's not adrenaline. It's the opposite. So what does it do? It inhibits the HPA axis and slows down the secretion of adrenaline. Interestingly enough, the GABA receptor site is responsible for anything anxiolytic in the human brain. Anything re resulting in relaxation of the brain is GABA-A derived. What does that mean? Every time you drink alcohol, it binds to GABA-A. That's what creates the relaxation response. Any barbiturate bind binds to GABA-A. That's what creates the relaxation response. Any benzodiazepine binds to GABA-A. So what do you think is going to happen when you bind GABA-A to GABA-A? You begin to relax. That's what the disc does. Then you have an eye mask. Simply put, we're visually stimulated by light. You can't meditate, sleep, or relax with your eyes open. So you have an eye mask. The third component of Newcomb is the most complex. There's over $5 million of patented physics, mathematics, and algorithms in a software platform. Then we compose music on top of it. It takes six to nine months to compose one track. Why? Because the composers have to build the music in the Solfeggio ancient music scale commensurate with the math. So at minute two, the pitch has to be 162 and the frequency is 13.2 hertz. So it's like neurosurgery. You listen to the music. You cannot hear what we're doing. We're using all this mathematics and algorithms to present your brain with a pattern. It's the caudate nucleus of the midbrain. And the pattern happens to just slow you down into alpha and theta. The best way to think about this, Connor, would be coffee. You wake up in the morning, you're lethargic, your brain's not firing, you feel like you're defeated and the day hasn't even started. You have some coffee, all of a sudden you're like, wow, I feel amazing. This isn't amazement, it simply accelerated the frequency of your brainwave. So from 12 hertz, you went up to 16 hertz. The focus zone for a human is 15 to 20 hertz. Okay, Newcomb's doing the opposite. It's saying, hey, you're stressed out or hey, you're worried, we don't care. We don't care who you are, your age, your ethnicity, your disease state, it doesn't matter. Biochemistry and physics is going to slow you down, take you to this place. So we literally present your brain with a pattern, and your brain falls into alpha and then into theta. Most of the tracks, most of the time you're in Newcomb, is in theta. Mm. Theta is the healing zone. That's how we get 20 minutes of Newcomb is equivalent to two hours of restorative sleep. 
That's what we're doing. So it's a, it's a system. It used to be a $5,995 class three medical device. We sold to doctors for 10 years. We've served millions of people. We've worked with 49 professional sports teams, the best athletes in the world. We work with aviation, stage four cancer, and doctors all over the world. We work with the United States DOD, the FBI, the Border Patrol, Bortac, Borstar, Special Forces, Navy SEALs, doesn't matter. But we weren't doing enough. Why? Because at $5,995, you're not serving enough people. And what I've learned in 11 years running this company is stress does not discriminate. We work with monks, Connor. Monks. Monks are using New Calm. What? Houston, we got a problem, okay? What are you using New Calm for? What are you stressed out about, okay? It's incredible. So from monks to Tony Robbins, the entire continuum of humanity uses New Calm. Now, we spent four and a half years bringing to market a non-medical device that leverages the platform of the patented class three medical device for 19 years, and you can now get New Calm in a three-component monthly subscription. Now we're going to make a difference. Now we're going to do what we intend to do, and that is change the energy of this planet from negative to positive by simply liberating people from stress and telling the reptilian brain to go take a nap. Because mm. we want to, we want to liberate people to be the best you. That's what we're here to do. I love it. I mean, I, I think it was such a good definition and description of what the product is, and like what the technology is, and how it tunes into the body, what function it plays. I, we're we're running out of time. I feel like there's so many more questions that I have. <laughs> you're like one of those guys that you 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 weren't joking at the beginning of this podcast before we jumped on. You're like you just wind me up and I'll go. And I'm like I, I'm I'm listening to you talk and I'm like man, I just can I just can you just stay here for like an hour longer or like three? Because there's a bunch of questions that I have for you. Um, so you know, that's just to say, first off, thank you. Secondly, there are other questions that I have about how the how the product interacts there was i think the, there's like this the sound component is an amalgamation of like binaural beats magnetic field st sim stimulation um and they get a few different components of it yeah tell me just before we wrap up and before you know where people can go to find out more of it tell me a little bit about the auditory component of it because i think that part is so fascinating because when i tried it out myself that part of it was so interesting to me to because I have a degree in music. And so I was fascinated by that part. And with my like psychology uh, fixation, you know, those two things melded together. It really was a very wild experience. And the auditory component of it was, was such an integral part. So tell me just a little bit about that and then where people can go. That's amazing. And that's a great question. And I, and I am smiling because, yes, as someone with a music background, you're going to be absolutely fascinated and enthralled with what we're going to do. So, like I said earlier, we're tricking the brain. That's a tremendous challenge. And so what you notice, well, first of all, everything is architected in the solfeggio ancient music scale. Okay, so mm -hmm. three days contemporary music, fine. And there's there's math and there's history to how that helps. That's like a whole other conversation that we could dive into. The ancient solfeggio system is important. So in there, uh, the music is serving as a carrier path. But what we're doing is we're entraining the brain. We're simply pacing your brain like a NASCAR pace car. But to do this, we're going to use binaural signal processing because the, the human ear cannot pick up 12 hertz, and 12 hertz is alpha. So we have to use some trickery on the mathematics. And the binaural signal processing is fascinating. It's simply the, the brain's compensatory mechanism. The brain needs symmetry. So if you present 500 hertz in the left ear and 512 in the right, when it receives the signal at the cauda nucleus, it says, wait a second, this dissonance is not acceptable. 
and the brain compensates by subtracting the two. It's incredible. Insane. It's Absolutely amazing. amazing. So amazing. we're using that as a tool, but we also have a pitch and frequency mathematical matrix. I think the coolest thing, and which you probably noticed in the feeling, was that there's a nonlinear oscillating algorithm that is constantly dynamic flow because the brain's reticular activating system is the most sophisticated filtration system in the history of this planet, and we have to trick it all the time. So we are taking you on this journey to alpha and theta, but the specificity is never the same. So it might be 13 hertz to 11 hertz to 12.5 hertz to 11.8 hertz, and we're constantly moving you. So when you were listening to it, what you heard, say you listened to Rescue 50, it's a 50-minute track, 16-minute down ramp into theta, then you're in theta. You probably noticed your mind was wandering the whole time. You couldn't stay on a linear thought. That's the manifestation of the math, nonlinear oscillating algorithm, constantly moving you. What we're doing is not meditation. We're not giving you control over your thinking process. What we're doing is we're liberating your mind to go on a journey because we're taking it on this path where you go, uh, take your monkey mind and go on a nonlinear journey. But you probably noticed the separation of your body. You probably noticed your respiration slow down. You probably noticed the gravity, 9.2 meters per second squared. You literally notice, whoa, when you take adrenaline out of the equation and you're observant, you feel it. You started to enter this state of lucidity in and out of this twilight zone dream state. That was theta. Your respiration slowed down. Then you may have even slipped in and out of sleep. So you literally are hovering just above sleep. All of this is done through the auditory motor cortex. All this is done through the platform of physics. So a typical song is about five to eight megabytes. One new comb track, like Rescue 50, is 789 megabytes of information we're forcing your brain to process. Wow. It's a huge amount. There's two tracks in the app now that are 1.5 gigabytes of mathematics. It's incredible. Wow. Why? Well, to solve the problem of managing the brain, the most complex organ in history, you need a complex solution. So I love the fact that Headspace is out there and Calm is out there and all these tools are out there. We've been out here for 19 years and 19 years ago, we were like aliens. 10 years ago, I was lecturing all over the world and people didn't understand anything we were talking about. I love the fact that the zeitgeist and the awareness is growing. But we bring a tank to a knife fight. Mm. The only patented neuroscience platform in the world. And it takes a systematic approach. Newcomb is not one plus one plus one equals three. Newcomb is one plus one plus one equals seven. That's what we showcased to the world when we said, this is what we do. So the combination of the biosignal processing disk with the iMask with the neuroacoustic software, but you got spot on. The auditory aspect of Newcomb is 75% of the method of action. We're simply using this tool. We're using your ears as the path. We could do visual entrainment. We just didn't need it. The complexity of what we did and the grip we have. Now, as a musician and someone who studied music, you'll appreciate this. We've gone from Newcomb 1.0 in 2008 to, to Newcomb 2.0 in 2014 to Newcomb 3.0 in 2020. What's different? Well, life is different. Neuroscience is different. Interestingly enough, in the neuroscience literature, they're learning that the vibrational patterns of ancient instruments, the tambora, singing bowls, actually has a resonance that helps in the healing property. So what we did is we, we recorded with a 3D holophonic microphone all of these instrumentation and subliminally put it into the master software. Hmm. We're gripping you so tight. You're taking this journey with us. Mm -hmm. You're not able to think through stuff. Even as a musician, you're thinking through the melodic patterns. But guess what? As soon as you start getting comfortable with one, it shifts, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. Because we had to. Because if you get emotionally attached, your monkey mind is going to come back and start creating cortisol. 
So it's all a, a, it's all a meticulously designed amalgamation of really complex science, mostly in the vibrational aspects of life, all designed to simply slow you down. So for 30, 40, 50 minutes of your day, you go in, you plug into new calm, and you unplug from life. And you allow your body to get that homeostatic balance, oxygen-rich red blood. Your body feels relaxed, but your mind feels incredible because we've oxygenated key areas of your brain. I knew calm for 51 minutes, an hour before this. Mm. I feel amazing. And I've been pushing really hard the last three days. I did six and a half hours of video interviews yesterday. Wow. I would do an interview. I'd change my suit. I'd do an interview, change my suit. It was ridiculous. All right. New calm, www.newcalm.com. I am so thrilled to be where we're at. I love what we did. I've traveled the earth. I've lectured to people. I've got a great network of people. We've taken care of people of all walks of life. But at $5,995, how how much impact could we have? But now you can get new calm for as low as $39.99 a month. There's no obligation. You get new calm, bring it into your life. You don't like it. Okay. I, I highly recommend you try to like it because it's really important for your health and well-being. But if you don't like it, you don't like it. Don't use it. We're here to change the world. We're here to help you. We're here to liberate you from stress. We're here to help you feel better, live better, perform better. We're here to help you be a better dad, a better son, a better lover, a better employee, all of these things, because stress is the negative consequence of life, and we are the great equalizer. That's what we're here to do. So good. So good, man. Well, thank you so much for your time. We'll have links for that in the show notes uh, so people can check that out there and uh, head on over to the website. Don't forget to share this episode. Um, I think this is one of those conversations that's so fascinating, especially if you know stressed out people in your life, um, which I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody doesn't at this point. Uh, so, so head on over, check out Newcom. Um, I tried it out, loved it, um, in such a powerful experience, and I love that part about the audio because my brain couldn't follow it, and there wasn't really like a, a, a tight pattern to clutch onto, and so it really helped me move into that theta state. So Jim, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I'm going to have to have you back on um, at some point. would love to have a conversation about a few of those topics. And for everyone that's out there listening, don't forget to leave a rating and review and subscribe. Uh, share the episode with just one person. And until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Mm-hmm.